Good morning, Harvest Bible Fellowship friends and family. We're so glad that each and every one of you could be here this morning. And, uh, well, it is a unique morning. We had several families that were affected by COVID, either by receiving COVID uh, or being exposed to COVID. And, uh, you know, I hate, hate, hate canceling services. But uh, every once in a while, I think wisdom says to do what is best for the church. So uh, I really appreciate your flexibility and your understanding and uh, really uh, just use it as an opportunity to come together, to grow together, to encourage one another in your families and pray together, which is what I want to do this morning as we start off and uh, just to take a moment to pray for one another. Um, And before we do that, I want to encourage you to just keep praying for Jim Mates. It was so cool. The other day I was uh, at... Uh, strong hospital and I got my pick line out of my arm and that was exciting a uh, few minutes I literally I was on uh, right next or I was in the office right next to the nurse who was taking it out and I got a text on my phone and I turned my head just for two seconds she goes all right Mr. Todd you're done I'm like wait a minute I didn't even feel it coming out uh, I wanted to see the thing so anyway they pulled that pick line out and it's like two feet long it is up my arm and down my chest and into a, the heart area but I got my pick line out, no more IVs, everything seems to be going pretty good, so praising God for that. But I thought, you know, as long as I'm up here at the hospital, I know they have rules about who can see who and all this kind of thing. So I went ahead and decided that I was going to sneak upstairs to Pastor Jim's uh, room. And so I went up to the sixth floor and kind of made my way in there, and you're supposed to stop at the desk and, you know, sign in and all this stuff. But I figured I'm just going to try to sneak in, you know, I, I mean, you know me. So I get in there, and I said, and the lady looks at me, and she kind of stops me, and she goes, can I help you? I said, no, nah, I'm just here to see Jim Mates. And all of a sudden, Jim Mates sticks his head out of the door on his wheelchair. He goes, I know that voice anywhere. <laughs> it was so awesome. And I got to spend about 45 minutes to an hour with him. It was fun. I enjoyed seeing him. He looks good, just as peaceful. And I tell you, I don't know how he does it because I, I was going stir crazy after a week in the hospital. But he's doing really good. I keep praying for him. Uh, we need to be praying for Nick Delasio, Ginger's husband. He is in the hospital struggling uh, on oxygen to breathe. So just continue to pray for him as well. Then also, I want to encourage you to pray for each other. I mean, you've probably heard through the grapevine numerous families and uh, who've had someone in their family with COVID or been exposed to somebody with COVID. And uh, this is, is a terrible thing that... Uh, my goodness, uh, I wish it wasn't here. I wish we didn't have to deal with it, but we do. So we need to continue to pray for one another. And uh, honestly, too, just just as Stephanie Dunn has reminded us, uh, those of you that have a church directory, use it as a functioning prayer list. Uh, just start going through that thing and just start praying for one another. And I'm telling you, it's just a, a blessing to be able to do that. I have learned in the last several weeks that there are things that take place in people's homes that they did not plan, they would not choose, but for whatever reason, they are happening and they need your prayer. Even though you you may not know what you're praying for, just lift them up, and I know that they will be encouraged by that. So uh, I want to do that this morning and just start off with a word of prayer. And uh, also one other thing too, um, Nick's grandmother in Pennsylvania is kind of uh, in her last stages of life. And uh, I reminded Nick that we would be praying for him as they travel this morning over to Pennsylvania. So keep the Tituses in your prayer as well. 
I know that they would appreciate that. So let's just take a moment this morning and let's just start in prayer. Lord God, we come before you. We thank you so much for who you are, for what you've done in our hearts and our lives. And God, we thank you for being a real God, a God that is alive, a God that is uh, on the throne and aware of everything that's taken place in our lives, Lord. Uh, Lord, nothing happens that you don't know about. Nothing happens that, Lord, that you could not change if you so chose. But, Lord, you allow things, and, Lord, they're for our good and for your glory. And so, Lord, we ask that you would work through them. And, God, we just pray that you would be with Pastor Jim this morning as he's in Strong Hospital. And uh, give Patty peace, Lord, and, Lord, all those involved with that, Lord, that they would just make all the right uh, decisions, Lord, to help Jim and be the doctors and nurses and all those that are helping at the hospital, Lord. Just give them wisdom to know how to best help him. So, God, we just thank you for being a great God that's going to be in, in charge of all these things. And, God, we think, pray that you be with Nick. I pray that you just uh, restore his health, Lord, and allow him to be home to Ginger soon. Uh, so, Lord, we also just want to lift up others, Lord. Uh, there are so many within our body, Lord, as I've learned in the last couple of weeks, Lord, who are going through difficult situations with family members, with friends of the family, Lord, just circumstances, Lord, that are just really difficult. And so, Lord, we want to lift them up to you. You know who they are. But, Lord, we pray that you would put a protection about this church family, Lord, about Harvest uh, family and friends, Lord, that you would honestly, Lord, just uh, keep us safe from the, this virus, Lord, that's very real, Lord, that over a million people now have died from. Uh, Lord, we just pray that you would work through this, Lord, and allow protection for this, your church family, Lord, that we might be able to carry out uh, the purposes for which you created us, Lord, and sharing the gospel around the world. Uh, so, Lord, be with each and every one of our church family members, Lord, and friends of our church, Lord, that you just keep them strong and healthy. Lord, we also want to lift up those in Buffalo this morning, Lord, from the mass shooting yesterday. Lord, what a senseless, uh, um, Lord, situation, Lord, that, that should have never happened. But, Lord, now there are ten victims, Lord, ten families represented, and many, many more that are affected by it. I pray, God, that you put your arms of uh, love about them, Lord. I pray that you might use this situation to draw them to yourself. And, Lord, I just pray that you continually put your hand about them, Lord, as they would see your uh, presence in the midst of it all. And, Lord, even those who may not know you as their Savior, Lord, may you use it as, a, as an opportunity for them to see your glory. And then, Lord, I also want to lift up those who are helping Ukraine. Lord, I've got several friends and families over there, Lord, that are helping uh, Lord, both Ukrainians and the Russians, Lord, the soldiers, making sure they have food and water, and Lord, they're, they're a gospel presence, Lord, for your glory. I pray that you keep them safe. I pray that you draw them to yourself, Lord, these uh, soldiers, Lord, that are being uh, uh, given the gospel. I pray, Lord, that you would just work in their hearts, Lord, to draw them to yourself. So, Lord, we, we come before you, Lord, and we ask you to work in our hearts and our lives, Lord, and Lord, as we uh, even look at your word this morning, Lord, use it to draw us closer to you. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would work in our hearts, Lord, too, Lord, Lord, to do some self-evaluation, Lord, to make sure things are in check, Lord, that we wouldn't just uh, throw it off, but Lord, honestly, be honest with ourselves with some things that or some things that may need to change in our lives, uh, Lord, and also for around the world, Lord, as the word of God goes forth, uh, Lord, on other parts of the world, Lord, where they've already had services, Lord, and on other places where they're about to have services. So, Lord, we just pray that wherever the word of God goes forth this day, Lord, that your hand of blessing would be upon it, Lord, and it would accomplish your purposes. Lord, we want to say that we love you. We thank you for the cross of Calvary. We thank you for the gift of salvation. And, Lord, I just pray that you would work in our hearts this day, this Sunday, 
as we concentrate on what you have for us from your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, once again, if you've just recently joined us, thank you for joining us this morning. And thank you for understanding and being flexible with everything that's going on. Um, I just would hate to see the church be a place where so many more people were being effective. Last Sunday, we had four or five people here that had COVID Sunday morning, but didn't know it. They had maybe a little headache or something Sunday morning. And by Sunday night, they had uh, lots of uh, uh, indications that maybe something wasn't quite right. And then Monday tests, sure enough. So uh, I know if you're not feeling well, you know, protect yourself, you know, get tested, uh, you know, get some rest. And uh, take your vitamins, as they say, apple a day, I don't know, maybe something else. But uh, at any rate, uh, it's good to see each and every one of you online. And uh, anyway, this morning, uh, we are going to talk about surrender in the new life in Christ. Surrender. It's a word that we don't like to talk about much. It's a word that really most of us, especially I'll say it as men, we don't like to surrender anybody, to anybody. Uh, most of us don't naturally like authority in our lives, right? We don't like people telling us what to do. We don't like people telling us when to do it or as often as we can do it. I mean, we like to control these things. And one of the things that we don't like to do is surrender. But it's the very thing that God calls us to do once we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And uh, there's an interesting uh, verse in Second Corinthians that basically says this, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things passed away, behold, new things have come. And so there is definitely the whole principle of how we used to live before Christ came in our life should not be how we are living now that Christ is in our lives, right? Uh, I mean, this is something that we've learned for years and years uh, as we come to know Jesus Christ as our Savior. And we're not, you know, it's not necessarily a new thing, but yet it's something that I think the longer we are believers, the more we you know, go to church and it becomes something, unfortunately, of old hat, so to speak. We kind of set these things aside and we kind of just go on with life as that's what we do. But it's really interesting here that this two-letter word in this verse and found in other places in the Bible is really interesting. So often the same Greek word that is translated, translated if can also be translated since in many situations. And some scholars believe it's interchangeable throughout the new testament i don't know that i go quite that far because i think context gives us the uh specific place where if or since should be used but there are many places that it can be used in both ways and it really helps us give a new nuance to the verse that we're looking at so uh, we often hear messages about how everything changes once we become a child of god and it does but today i want you to draw our attention or your attention to this principle that each of us must learn in the process of change. Um, we must learn the, pro- the principle of surrender, which is, or even if we could say it this way, unconditional surrender. Um, Jesus Christ has called us, called all of us who know him to surrender to his lordship. You know, we've been talking about uh, sharing the gospel the last couple of weeks. We've been talking about, you know, can you know Jesus for 20 and 30 years and never open your mouth about what Jesus Christ has done for you, who he is to you. And just go on living life as though it was just a very private thing and that we don't want to stir the pot or you know, make anybody upset with us. But yet what Jesus did was not private. It was very public for the world to see. And uh, anyway, so it cannot be a private thing. It's got to be something that's very public. And we've been talking about this. 
But as we think about this idea of once we truly know Jesus Christ, everything changes. You see, in the old life, life is about me. In the new life, it's all about Him. And so as we start thinking about that, there are so many things that need to change. It's not about my desires and my dreams and my wishes and my wants and my opinions and my preferences and my, you know, on and on and on. It's really about knowing Jesus and what pleases him in this life that he's called us to live. So we have to remember that. So I want to draw your attention, first of all, to Matthew chapter 7. And we're going to look at something here in this verse that I know that you've heard a thousand times if you've been a believer at all. But I also want to draw our attention to a couple of the principles that are found in this verse. So Matthew chapter 7, and I'm going to slide my iPad over just a little bit here. So Matthew chapter 7, and I want to read just a couple of verses, verses uh, 21 through 23. Uh, very familiar verses, so once again, just hold on with me as I read this. It says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, in your name did we not prophesy? And in your name cast out demons, and in your name do many miracles. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. You know, and he makes it very clear. I mean, there are those who literally will look to Jesus and say, Lord, Lord. You know, there are many themes and applications to the verses I just read. But however, one obvious theme is that of obedience from a right heart attitude. You know, Dr. Ola at my Bible college used to always say, Obedience is doing what you're told to do when you're told to do it with the right heart attitude. You know, it's amazing. And he used to use the illustration. If I tell my son to grab the garbage and take it outside, it's like, oh, I don't want to do this. Why, why do I have to do it? Why can't you make so-and-so do it? Why do I have to always do it? You know, eventually he's like, because I told you to do it. And he eventually takes the trash bag outside. Did he obey? Well, according to Scripture and what we see in the Old Testament, especially in several passages, no. Because obedience is doing what you're told to do when you're told to do it with a right heart attitude. And so there are many themes here, but one of the themes here is obedience. God's word tells us in the book of John, it says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And so if we're not keeping God's commandments and doing them from the right heart attitude, it really says something about whether or not we truly love him. He wants us to love him from a right heart attitude. You know, seldom will someone obey another whom they believe has no authority over them. Let me say that again. Seldom will someone obey another whom they believe has no authority over them. And furthermore, if someone does believe that another has authority over them, they must surrender to their authority. In other words, I have to do it willingly. I remember when my kids were younger, especially when they were younger teenagers, they used to want to play that game called Mercy. And we would lock hands with each other and we'd go like this. And we kind of went to one, finally one person says, Mercy! And then, of course, the one who was able to inflict his will on the other is the winner. But I've often used that game as an illustration to help us understand that even though I may be stronger than someone, I may have more power or authority or position over someone, um, I can't change their heart and I can't make them want them to do what I tell them to do. They have to want to willingly choose to do that. I cannot change a person's will. I cannot change a person's mind. Only God can do that. 
But obedience has to do with willingly, willingly surrendering my will to that of another. But once again, seldom will someone obey another whom they believe has no authority over them. So once again, when we talk about obeying God, if we don't believe or act or even uh, practice the, the, the principle of Him having authority over us, we'll never completely, totally, unconditionally obey Him. So, And then even if we do, we have to willingly surrender our heart to His. So as we get started today, I wanted to draw our attention to a word, more specifically, a name. So in that passage, it says, Lord, Lord. The word Lord there is translated from a Greek word called kurios. And the Greek language speaks of someone possessing power or authority. A Lord has the right to command because he possesses ownership. In other words, if the Lord has authority over someone lesser, he can demand whatever he wants and they must do it because he is in complete control. So the Lord has a right to command because he possesses ownership. There's a very similar word in the Greek language is the word despotis, from which we get the English word despot. A despot possessed absolute power. Um, Murray J. Harris made uh, com- commented that both of these words, kurios and despotis, are very similar in that they both can be rendered lord and master. However, there is some distinction. Curious describes our sovereign Lord, while Despotes describes our absolute Lord. Jesus Christ is both, and we must surrender to that. So these words are also used to describe the terminology of synonyms with slavery, or synonymous with slavery. Um, And I find that very interesting, because we will very seldom in our minds link the words Lord to slavery. These words define someone with absolute authority over another. The one who is underneath the Lord had to obey explicitly, not because he wanted to, but because he chose to, or or not because he chose to, but rather he had no other alternative. You see, when a slave was purchased on the slave block, I'm certain that most often those slaves didn't choose to be sold. Or to be bought. That was something that was out of their control during that insignificant time. Or unfortunate time. But he did not want to necessarily be bought. He wanted to be sold. He wanted his freedom. But in the concept of an owner-slave relationship, he obeyed because he had no other alternative. And if he were to not obey, well that had great and significant alternative uh, consequence. MacArthur points out wherever you see the words kurios and despotis, you will also see the word doulos, which is also translated slavery. And let me just give you some food for thought here. Doulos and its derivatives is a common word in the New Testament that is used more than 130 times. You see, it's not an insignificant principle. It is a very significant thought. In scripture that doulos would be used more than 130 times. So the word doulos has very clear meaning and it is often mistranslated in many Bible versions. Some Bible versions or translations may translate this word servant or bond servant. But there's clearly a difference. You see, a doulos does not have any rights whatsoever. 
And let me just read for you 1 Corinthians 7, 22 and 23. It says, For he who was called in the Lord while a slave is the Lord's freedman. Likewise, he who, also, who was called while free is Christ's slave. Verse 23, You are bought with a price. Do not become slaves of men. I thought that last phrase especially was very unique. He's saying, do not become a slave of man. In other words, you don't belong to man. None of us does. We do, though, belong to God. God's word is very clear, because remember what it tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20. It says, uh, Or do you not know that your body is a sanctuary of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? So very clearly, we are not our own. We don't have the authority over ourselves to demand how we live. We don't have the authority to say, I want to believe this, or I want to do that. Why? Because verse, 23, or verse uh, uh, 20 says this, For you were bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. He says, you were purchased. And because you were purchased, you are now a slave of Jesus Christ. And so therefore, as a slave of Jesus Christ, we don't have rights. We surrendered those rights when we became a follower of Jesus Christ. And so therefore, being a slave is what Jesus expected of his followers. And he says, do not be a slave of man. In other words, let me put it this way. In Galatians chapter 1, verse 10, says, if I should please man, I should not be the servant of Christ. Uh, God put us on this earth to please him. And remember, when we die one day, and we will all die one day, we'll not stand before our friends, we'll not stand before our relatives, we'll not stand before our neighbors or co-workers, we'll stand before Jesus Christ. And it is only with him, before God Almighty, that we will give an account for this life that he gave us. And so we're not to live for the glory of man or to the good of man. We're to live for the glory of God. So, John chapter 12, verse 26 gives us the expectation that Jesus Christ had for his, for his followers. He says, If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. And if anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Look at about the fifth or sixth word in there. If anyone serves me, he must. That's an interesting word once again in the New Testament. You see, it's not just a suggestion it's not merely a good idea. He's saying if anyone is going to follow me or serve me, he must follow me. You see, I don't care how good of a quarterback you may be. If you don't listen to your coach and follow the plays that he says, you're not going to be successful. It doesn't matter how great of a receiver you might be. If you're not going to follow the game plan and run the pattern that the coach tells you to run or that the quarterback calls, you will not be successful. So if you are going to follow that coach, you must also serve him. You must willingly submit your ideas or your thoughts to what that the coach is giving you. No different in the walk with Jesus Christ. He says, if you're going to follow me, you've got to serve me. You can't just do it half-heartedly. You can't do it as a Christian smorgasbord and take a little bit of this and not so much of that. It's all or nothing. You see, partial obedience is still disobedience. Or partial obedience is still disobedience. And we have to remember that. 
So he says must, which is not a suggestion or even a good idea. So many aspects uh, of slavery were characterized in our redemption. Let me just give you a few thoughts, and we're just going to look at like seven of them real quickly. Number one, first of all, God's word says we are chosen. That is absolutely awesome. We're chosen. In Ephesians chapter 1, verses 4 and 5, it says, Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him in love, by predestining us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. You know, there are so many thoughts in that verse that are just explode that ought to give us joy. That he chose us, that he that we should be blameless and holy before him in love. And really, love is the motivation. Love is the very factor that allows us, I guess, or predetermines whether or not we will be blameless and holy. But he says, by predestining us to adoption. You know, in an adoption, you don't see a father and a mother being forced to take a child he doesn't want. Usually the process works in such a different way where it's obvious that the father and the mother are choosing that child and are welcoming that child with open arms into their homes so they can love and nourish and care for and provide for that child. You see, that's not coincidence. It's a willful choice. And it reflects their desire to have a love relationship with them. And so that is so awesome that Jesus Christ chose us. We're part of his family. Heirs to the family of God. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, it says, But you are a chosen family, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. He says, I created you for myself. Is that not cool? Is that not awesome that God chose you for himself? He wants a relationship with you. Why? So that you can proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. He says, I love you too much to let you remain in darkness. And he gives us the opportunity to step into his light. I love, and I say it often in Psalm 40, verses 1 through 3, how he brought us up out of our miry clay and set our feet upon a rock and established all of our goings and put a new song in our mouth, even praise to our God that many shall see it and fear and trust in the Lord. He takes us out of a miry clay, sets us on solid ground, puts joy in our hearts, gives us a song in our heart so that we can turn around and rejoice and other people can see that. It's a... I guess a multiplying circumstance that when we live out the joy of God, others will see it and wonder why we have such great joy. Isn't that awesome? That Jesus Christ loved us enough to die on the cross to choose us to be part of his family, but with a purpose that we might step out of darkness into light, that others would see it and know this one we call Jesus. Not only are we chosen... I looked at 1 Corinthians 6.19 where where we saw that he has purchased us with his blood. But number three, we are owned. We're owned. In Romans chapter 14 verses 7 through 9 it says this, "For For not one of us lives for himself and not one dies for himself. For if we live, we live for the Lord. If we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore we live, or whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. And verse 9 says this, For to this end Christ died and lived again, that he might be both Lord of the dead and of the living. We are owned. He purchased us, we're owned by him, and we live for him, and we even die for him. 
I'm amazed at how many people who have what we call been martyrs throughout history have died with a smile on their face, with joy in their heart, and with peace in their minds, even though they've gone through terrible, terrible uh, hardship, uh, uh, persecution, and yet none of that seems to bother them uh, because they are resting in the Lord. Uh, I've reminded several people in the last week that there's a verse that I've clung to so often in times of hurt and pain, times of disappointment and frustration, in times that my mind would want to wander in other directions. It's Isaiah 26.3. You ought to write it down and memorize it. It's a real long verse. Actually, it's really short. It says, Thou wilt give him perfect peace. And actually, it says, Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on him because he trusts in him. Let me say it again. Thou wilt give him perfect peace, or keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on him because he trusts in him. God's word is very clear. He doesn't say, well, you know, you might have some peace. Hey, try this. You might get some, you know, rest for a little while. No, he says, listen, if you will trust me, I'll give you peace. Why? Because God makes no mistakes. He's never made a mistake. He's never going to make a mistake. He knows what's best for us. And that's what he does. So the world can be falling apart and going to hell in a handbasket. And I can still have peace because my peace is not based on the circumstances of life that are taking place all around me. My peace is based on my mind being steadfast on Jesus Christ and trusting in the fact that he knows what's best for me, what's good for me, and what is, what's going to happen in the long run, even though I may not know it. Once again, we're chosen. We are bought. We are owned. In Titus chapter 2, verse 14, it says, Who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all lawlessness and purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good works. And once again, that goes right along with Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, not of works, lest any man should boast, right? I mean, we know that we cannot do enough good works to save ourselves, but we often forget what it says in verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created unto good works. He wants us to be involved in his good works, which is what he says in Titus 2.14, zealous for good works. Why? Once again, because he owns us and he created us. He bought us. He purchased us. He chose us for a reason. And this all has to do with the fact that we are his slaves and we willingly surrender to him. But not only are we chosen, not only are we bought, not only are we owned, number four, we are subject to him. In Acts chapter 5, verse 29, it says, But Peter and the apostles answered and said, We must obey God rather than men. That's an incredible thing that all of us need to remember. In life, there are going to be many, many opportunities to look other directions, to do other things. But we have to ask ourselves, in looking these directions, in doing these things, are we obeying God or man? And let me just say, sometimes in doing what we want and fulfilling our own desires and our own wills is obeying man rather than God. God wants us to obey Him. And there's that word again that we mentioned earlier, the word must. He says we must obey God rather than man. And in Romans chapter 6, verses 16 through 19, he says, Do you not know that when you go on presenting yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience, 
You are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness. So once again, who we obey really gives a picture of who we are a slave to. We are either slaves of obedience to God or slaves to the flesh leading to death. Verse 17, But thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin, you obeyed Him from the heart, that pattern of teaching to which you were given over. Once again, remember what it tells us in Colossians and in Galatians, that when we became a child of God, when we put our faith and trust in Him, the old man was crucified. The old man was put to death. The old man was put away, right? So we remember this. So what it says here, it says, But thanks be to God that though you were, and I love that word were because it's past tense, you were slaves of the one whom you, uh, I'm sorry, you were given over to. And having been freed from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. I'm speaking in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to further lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. So he reminds them, you have been purchased. You have been uh, made a slave to righteousness. Let me, he says, let me just remind you, put away what used to be in your old life. Put away what used to be before you knew me. Put away what you know will not bring sanctification. So you have to remember this. We are subjected to Jesus Christ himself. Number five, we are dependent upon. You know, a slave was fed by his master. And even though a slave would not choose in the typical picture of the, you know, Civil War days of slavery, a slave would not want to be subject to a master, but he was dependent upon them uh, for their food and for their sustenance, for their well-being, even though they wouldn't have chosen that. In 2 Corinthians 9, verses 8 through 11, it says this, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though being rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that through his poverty, through his poverty, might become rich. And I give my opinion in this matter, for this is profitable for you, who were the first to begin a year ago, not only to do this, but also the desire to do it. Verse 11, But now complete doing it also, so that just as there was the readiness to desire it, so there may also be a completion of it from what you have. Wow. We are dependent upon Him. You know, that's sad, because sometimes we live life as though we got it all together. We live life as though it doesn't matter what anyone else is doing. We live life as though this whole life depends upon what I want, what I desire, what, as often as I want to do it, whenever I want to do it, wherever I want to do it. We kind of live life, and we forget that really life is not about us. It's not about what I think I can afford or what I think I can accomplish or, or the position I think I can attain to. We are dependent upon God. And we cannot live the life that He has called us to live except we submit ourselves to Him. In Philippians 4.19 it says, And my God will fulfill all your needs according to His riches in glory in Christ Jesus. It's not about what I think I can provide for myself. Although I may have money or wealth or material goods, it's not about that. It's about my dependency upon God and my trust in Him to provide what He has for me to have. Number six, we are answerable to Him. So in Romans chapter 14, verse 12 says, So that each of us will give an account of himself to God. You know, one day we will stand before God, as I mentioned earlier. We will stand before God and we will give an answer to Him. We will give an account 
of our lives to Him. That ought to be a little bit of a stark reminder that we ought to look, pay attention as to how we're living our life. You know, are we living for ourselves or are we living for God? Are we living for others or are we living for ourselves? Uh, you know, some people just have only one thought in mind. The next thing they can get, the next dollar they can make, the next place that they can go. But the reality is, what are we truly living for? What really captivates our attention? What really motivates us? Because remember, we will answer to God one day. Number seven, only two more. We will be evaluated by God. <laughs> you know, it's amazing to consider that, yes, we were chosen in Him. We were bought by Him. We're owned by Him. We're subject to Him. We're dependent upon Him. We're answerable to Him. And yes, we will, number seven, be evaluated by Him. In 2 Corinthians 5, verse 10, it says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may re be recompensed for his deeds in the body, according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Our life will be evaluated. Wow. What a stark reminder once again. Not only will we give an answer to him, but we're going to be evaluated. Our life will be evaluated. Um, I want to get to the end of my life and hear those words, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Wow, what a blessing to be able to hear those words. I'm, I'm, I'm certain that there have been many saints that have gone on before me who have stood before God and they have passed from this life and God's word says to be absent from the body to be present with the Lord. I am certain that to some extent they're rejoicing with Jesus Christ. They're sitting around the throne of heaven and they're hearing those words, well done, thou good and faithful servant. And there are those, whether they've lived you know, 15 years in this life or 105 years in this life, who lived in such a way that it was about God and not about themselves. I hope that that's our desire. I hope that that's what we want to live for. The, the joy of hearing God say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. And really to reflect all glory to him. And then number eight, and finally... We will either be chastened or rewarded by him. Chastened or rewarded. I want to read several verses. And if you want to turn there with me in Hebrews chapter 12. Um, I, I, I printed the verses out just to save a little bit of time. But Hebrews chapter 12 verses 5 through 11. It says this. And you have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. He says, don't take it lightly. It's for a purpose. It's, it's for our good. It's for our, uh, you know, what's, what, what we need. He says, don't take it lightly, nor faint when you are reproved by him. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. And he flogs every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate children and sons. What's he saying here? He says, if, if you're never under any discipline, if you're never receiving discipline, if you've not been disciplined in any way, shape, or form, then he's saying, quite honestly, you're not a child. Because whom God loves, he disciplines. And if you can go on living in sin and doing what you know is wrong and what is not pleasing to God and not feel the discipline of God, it may be that you're not his child, that you've not been bought, you're not owned, you're not subject to. You need to be, evaluate these things. Verse 9, he, verse nine, he says, Furthermore, 
We had earthly fathers to discipline us, and we respected them. Shall we not much rather be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as seemed best to them. But he, God, disciplines us for our benefit, so that we may share his holiness. And all discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. But to those who have been trained by it, afterwards it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. I can tell you with great certainty that as a child, as a teenager, when my dad took out the big paddle that he had that had holes drilled in the end of it, and it was, I mean, we used to say it was aerodynamic, uh, when he swung the paddle, yeah, it broke the sound barrier and whooped us on the hind end. We joke about it. I did not, I don't think ever say, thank you, God, thank you. That just felt so good. Oh, do it again. Do it again. Yes, Dad, right there. Dad, a little bit lower next time. Oh, yes. No. Anybody who has ever received a spanking, a paddling, they're not rejoicing. But what he says in God's word is true. I can remember as a child getting a spanking thinking, I hate this. I don't enjoy it. I wouldn't choose it. But looking back 20 years later, did it hurt me? No. Did it discipline me into doing what's right and to being obedient? 110%. I wish more parents would practice discipline and spanking. In fact, God's word tells us where to do it. It says, and he that spares the rod hates his child. I didn't say that. God said it. Why? Because discipline is for our good, whether we want to admit that or not. But it says here, I'll repeat verse 11. And all discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. But to those who have been trained by it, and trust me, the spankings that my dad gave me trained me to walk in obedience. I'm thankful and grateful for that. Afterwards, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. So, once again, number eight, we'll either be chastened by him or rewarded by him. 1 Corinthians 3.14 says, If any man's work which he has built on it remains, he'll receive a reward. It's an incredible thing to consider that God throws his word, and as we wrap this message up, there's an idea, literally, that all these words are linked together. Lord and des- you know, Kyrios and Despotis, which means master, absolute authority. You see, there are two different words, and we didn't get into the second word. One, one of the words means master, and the other one means, uh, uh, Lord means master, and the other one means authority. Some people have a master over them, but they've not been subjected their, to their authority. But there are many people who have not realized that once you're in Christ, we're his child. We're his slave. And as his slave, we have so much to do to honor him. Because we are chosen. We are bought. We are owned. We are subject to. We are dependent upon. We are answerable to. We are evaluated by. And we will be chastened and rewarded by him. If then, if then we know Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior... Are we living a life that is consistent with someone who is a slave of the one who has made the purchase? Let me use that word interchangeably once again, the word if and since. If, if, then you know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, 
if you do know him as Lord and Savior, are you living a life that is consistent with someone who is a slave of the one who has purchased? Or you can say, since you know Jesus Christ, I'm living a life that is consistent with someone who has been made a slave through purchase of Jesus Christ. No one can make you surrender. God can. And sometimes that's not pleasant. He can use circumstances that we would not choose. But how much more would it be joyful and even to God's glory for us to willingly surrender our life to his because he's purchased us. And our whole life ought to revolve around that very fact that he owns us. He loves us. That's the whole motivating factor for all of it. The, the, the fact that he chose us and bought us and owned us and, so, and subjected ourselves to him and made us dependent upon him and answered to him and evaluated by him and you know, cheered, uh, um, chastened or rewarded by him, it all stems out of love. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave. Romans 5 eight, But God demonstrated his love in this way, that while we are yet sinners, Christ died for us. He did everything motivated by his love for man. And then I come back to John, and I believe it's 13. He says, if you love me, keep my commandments. It's a two-way street. He loves us. And 1 John 4 says we love him because he first loved us. Love is always the motivating factor. I, I, I do for my wife and my kids because I love them. I, I, I do for my church because I love my church. I do for those around me because I love them as God has called me to love them. Love is always the motivating factor. I won't do for anybody I don't love, at least not with the right heart attitude. But remember what I said in the beginning, too. I'll seldom give my life for someone that I don't believe has authority over me. We need to get back to the place where we understand that God is our authority. We live life, and so many of us live life around us, uh, those around us live life as though we are our own boss. We need to get back to the place where we understand that God is our authority, and he gave us his words so that we might understand how to please him and live for him. Let's take a moment and pray, and maybe this morning something I've said has challenged you, uh, something from God's word has challenged you about, you know, once again becoming submissive to God's leading, submissive to his authority, understanding the very fact that we are his doulos, his slaves, and we are chosen, bought, owned, and so forth through his blood, purchased by his blood. And if that's the case this morning and you're reminded of that once again, afresh and anew, can I challenge you to, just as I'm going to pray in just a moment, to pray with me. And God's word says in James, the him that knows to do right and doesn't do it, it's sin. If there's an area of sinfulness and that we have not made ourselves, you know, placed ourselves under God's authority, we need to repent of that and get back to where we believe we are following him completely and honestly and openly before him. Lord, I pray for every one of us, Lord, myself included, that we would honestly, Lord, be following you and your authority in our lives out of a heart of love. We believe that you're our authority. You bought us with your own blood on the cross of Calvary. 
And I thank you for that, dear Father. And I pray, God, for each and every one of us who have heard this message today, Lord, that we might understand that, Lord, like many in the final day will hear, Lord, Lord, did we not do this and did we not do that? Did we not go to church? Did we not put an offering in? Did we not help others? And you will say, depart from me, for I never knew you. God, I pray that our lives would truly reflect a life that is submissive to your authority. God, I pray that we would live it out in everything that we say and do as your slaves. Because this life is not about us, it's all about you. Help us to be reminded of that daily. Lord, be with each and every one of us who watched this message this morning, who were even on Facebook Live, Lord, families and others who are partakers of this, Lord. I pray that we would all together, Lord, make the decision, Lord, to be once again fully committed, surrendered to you, Lord. And that we might see your presence, your blessing in our lives because of it, Lord. And we'll be careful to thank you and praise you. For it's in Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. Well, just a reminder, be praying for one another. Help one another out. Encourage one another. Send a text to one another. Make a phone call to someone else. Just think of others this week. Encourage one another because we all need it. Uh, I need it. You need it. I'll just tell you, I've been so blessed by my church family. Going through a triple bypass and then an infection. And this week has just been a, a much better week, not as much pain. We're starting to be able to do more and more each day. I'm so thankful for God's healing touch. And I do believe that God has answered many of your prayers. Um, I, I just encourage you, keep praying. Keep praying for me. I covet those prayers, desire those prayers, want those prayers. So I encourage you to keep doing that. I so appreciate it more than you'll ever know. So um, let's just pray for everyone in the church, everyone in the body. There's so many people that need prayer. They need, a, they need a touch from heaven. So let me encourage you to do that. And I hope you encourage you to have a good day. Get some rest. Be refreshed for the week to come. And uh, I'll see you all next week live in person. So I uh, look forward to seeing you all. Take care. Have a good week.